we are glad you're in church this morning. Amen. This is why I come. I come for your uh, encouragement. Your encouragement encourages me, and I hope I encourage you today. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so happy you're here. Amen. You know, the Bible says when two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there. And sometimes people use that as an excuse just to stay home with their family. But I'm glad that my family's here with your family. Amen. I'm glad that we're together. And that's why we didn't accept what the governor was saying or what the mayor was saying about COVID. Because we knew once we got the information, somebody say facts and faith. We understood when we got the facts that we had to practice our faith. And as you can see now, over a year and a half, almost now two years later, they're still playing with us. Amen. They're trying to make us afraid of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And so here's what we need to do during these times. If you're sick, you know, quarantine yourself. And the healthy, we need to keep praising God. Amen. We need to get that herd immunity not only from COVID, but we need to get it from the devil. Get around each other and rub off on each other the good things of God. We need to make sure that we're sharing life together during this time. I remember, uh, you know, when a lot of people's churches were shut down, they would come and visit us. and They would say, oh, it's so good to be in church again. I'm praising God with others again. I mean, it was, it was okay when I was at home, but there's nothing like being with others. Amen. And so uh, we're going to learn today a new message. I'm in a season just going uh, every week, a new message at the moment from service to service. No two messages are alike. So today is throne of grace. Somebody say throne of grace. Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. And in the first service, the first service was his story, which is playing off the word history. Check it out. App. Facebook, YouTube, podcast, all of that there is for you. Somebody say throne of grace. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 4, rather, chapter 4, verse 14. Got to get my notes together here, but I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm excited about doing this. I love just preaching what's coming hot out the oven. How many like fresh bread? Does anybody come from a place where their family made fresh bread, like their culture? My family's Italian. We make fresh bread. We love it. Man, you know, fresh pizza pie. You know, we make the fresh crust, too. That's bread, you know. If you never thought about it, it's just, you know, bread that's really thin. But we love bread in my culture, and we make it fresh. And I remember just growing up, and if mama was making fresh bread, it was on. You know, I mean, you could just tell what kind of day it was going to be. I know uh, some cultures maybe fresh tortillas. Anybody make fresh tortillas? Make that? Uh, I took some of the corn tortillas I had left over from the 4th of July picnic and then threw it into the fire. And what did I make, y'all? Nacho chips. I'm telling you, and I made them good. I made them like Doritos because when they came out, I put some Tonys on them, some spice on them. My kids never know what they're going to find because I'm kind of like the gringo Latino when I'm in the kitchen. The gringo Cajun Latino, I bring it all out. And I say that to say this. It wasn't Hebrews 8, it was chapter 4. But are you ready now? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Look at this scripture as we learn about the throne of grace today. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Come on, somebody say he did it. Amen. He did it. He lived without sin so that we could live like him. 
Now, verse 16, let's read it together. One, two, three. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you. If I was to ask you, without having read this first, when I say throne of God, throne of God, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? How many would be honest and say grace wouldn't be the first thing that came to mind? If I said, tell me what you think when I say throne of God, what's the word that starts with the J, ends with the T, most of us would think of? Judgment. That's what we would think of. Oh my goodness, God's throne is a throne of judgment. And we would be right to think that because there is judgment that happens at the throne. But how many know we're on the other side of judgment? We're in grace. We are not the ones who should be thinking about the throne of God as a place of judgment. We should be thinking about it as a throne of what? Grace. Come on, somebody say grace. Thank you. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up in a family where my father was a businessman and had authority. And my dad had an office. And in that office, I'm sure people got fired from time to time. In that office, my dad had to make decisions. But for me, that office was a place of grace. The, the word grace means favor. It means gift. It can also come from love and mercy and have that in, in its connotation. And so when I would come into my dad's business, he's had multiple businesses throughout his life, but the one that I would be the youngest in is when he did people's taxes, and he was also a personal finance uh, person. So those two stick out of my mind, that office. When I would walk in, I could go right past the secretary. I didn't have to stop and say, hey, is my name written down there? Does he have an appointment with me? I can walk right past the secretary, not even knock, so God have mercy on what he was doing in there at that time, you know. If I ruined any business, I don't know. And I could just walk right in because though for everybody else, that was the boss's office, that was the place where the office got, you know, problems got settled in that office, that office was my daddy's office. That was the place where my dad could give me some candy, and he was the kind of businessman that always had candy in the office, if you remember those days and when people would do that. I hope somebody's still doing it today. If not started, everybody will like you. Well, maybe not now. Maybe people are against uh, candy, so maybe have a little bit of fruit there, something, something for people, right? So you have something in there. But you know what? My dad's office was not a place of judgment for me. I didn't have to make sure I had an appointment. I didn't have to make sure I had all my assignments done. I knew that I could come there and hang out with my dad. And so that office, yes, served a purpose where people got fired. That office served a purpose that, that people's jobs needed to be done and be held accountable to a checklist. But for me, that was my dad's office. Somebody say father's office. You see, God has a throne, and it's there for us that is different than what it's there for the world. You see, when we look at the throne, we're not supposed to look at the throne and go, oh, judgment, judgment. That's not how we're supposed to look at the Father's throne and the Son's throne and the Holy Spirit's throne. They share the same throne, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I just want you to understand this. When you think of the throne of God, you're supposed to be able to approach it with confidence. 
You're not supposed to be going around the throne of God going, oh, oh, is he going to judge me? Is he going to kick me out? You're supposed to do WWJD. What would Joe do going to his father's office? And seriously, when we think about Jesus, what would Jesus do? We're supposed to think of Jesus as the perfect example of man. How did he come to his father's office? Even though the Son of God has been with the Father from eternity, equal in nature, when he became a man, the Son of Man lived among us, he served as our example. And so we are not supposed to think of coming to God's throne afraid that he's going to hurt us, that he's going to wrongfully treat us, that he's going to say, why are you here and push us away? We are to to think of God's throne as a place of grace and a place that we can come confidently to receive mercy in our times of need. Come on, can I hear an amen? That should get you excited today in church. Because some of you are saying, oh, hold on, hold on. I, if I'm going to come in confidence to God's throne, like Joe, okay, I'm kind of tracking with you here, but I do that on my good days, right? Just on my good days. That's when I come there confident. No, no, no. The Bible says you come there in the days you're at your worst. The days where you're at your worst, when you're in need of what? Maybe forgiveness. Maybe you have sinned. On that day, you're supposed to come there in confidence, not in shame, going, Abba, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need forgiveness. Do you see how the devil has twisted the way we look at the throne of God? He's gotten us to think that nothing has changed since we have become Christians. That the throne of God is a scary place and that we don't belong there, but where do we belong? Hanging out with him. No, 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 don't, don't, don't go to God when you're in sin. Don't go to God when you have a guilty conscience. Come hang out with me. Come hang out with me. See, it's easy with me. It's fun with me. No, don't go to the throne because you're going to get judged. And he's going to push you away. And he's going to say how disappointed he is in you. Man, if I had, as that typical saying goes, a nickel or a penny for every time I've heard that I'm not ready to come to church yet, I would be a rich person right now. And you know why people say they're not ready? Because they think they're not ready to come to a throne of judgment. That's how they see God. They're going, oh, I'm not ready to try that church stuff. Because I, if, if I say I'm ready to live for God and then and you know something happens wrong, I can't handle it. I can't go to the throne again. I can't ask for forgiveness again. He's going to cast me out. That is a devil's lie, isn't it? How many of you have been Christians long enough to know that when you were at your worst, when you sinned, even as a Christian, the greatest place for you to be was at the throne of God? That's where the mercy came. That's where the forgiveness came. That's where the transformation came. That's where everything got wiped away, washed, and made clean. I mean, I can tell you as a Christian, I have sinned. Not that I was supposed to sin. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well, but please hang in here with me. I can tell you as a Christian, I have sinned. And I can tell you that the longer I stayed from the throne of God, the worse it was. When I stayed from the throne of God, there was no comfort. There was only condemnation. There was no relief. There was just agony. There was no transformation. Actually, it just got worse and it was kind of growing like a cancer or something vile on the inside of me. And so if you want to ask me, like in summary, Joe, about this message, how would you describe it after living it out for 20 plus years? I would say there's no place like the throne of grace. Come on, somebody. I would, I would tell you there is no place like the throne of grace. After all of these years, there is no place like the throne of grace. 
Sometimes I have come to the throne of grace with what, what I think are the biggest problems that God has ever heard. I come there sometimes in need, and I think to myself, oh, man, God's got to be busy. He's probably too busy to hear this, and boy, oh, boy, these are big problems. But I have watched every time as I have come, even thinking that in doubt, but just having a mustard seed to appear before that throne, every time he evaporates it right in front of me. The thing that I thought was the biggest hindrance, the biggest problem, the biggest thing I faced, God was able in his throne of grace to help me to give me mercy. Can I hear an amen from people who have been around the throne of grace a little bit? I'm not talking about hanging around the devil. I'm saying how many of you have been around the throne of grace? How many of you have been around the throne of grace long enough to know that there is mercy there? There is kindness there. There is help in our time of need. I think so often that we get tricked by the devil not to come And then when we get there, we think to ourselves that now if everything in the natural, in the the worldly sense, doesn't disappear, then maybe it wasn't worth our time because we're all coming there with wrong motives when we think that way. And I've been there too. Like God, you know, uh, let's say with the COVID situation, you know, the mayor's coming after us, the governor's coming after us. God, make this go away. And sometimes if you pray the one time and, you know, the mayor's still there and the governor's still there, you might think, well, maybe that prayer didn't work. But what does God teach us? He's teaching us that he's not necessarily making all the problems in the world go away, but he's taking away all the problems in our heart. He's giving us peace that goes beyond our own understanding. We might come there thinking, well, the only way I could have peace in my mind right now is if God erased every problem off this planet. But God says, no, that's the only way you understand peace. But I'm going to give you peace beyond your understanding. I can give you peace even in the midst of the storm. I can give you peace even when there's a governor that doesn't like you. I can show you how to have peace beyond your understanding. Because for us to have peace, how do we understand it? God's just got to fix it every single time, just when we ask. Otherwise, we can't have peace. And God is showing us, no, I'm greater than your understanding. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's learn about the throne of grace today. Are you ready? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. I want you to think about this. Jesus was a Jew. How many know Jesus was a Jew? How many know if you're an anti-Semite or anti-Semitic, how many know you're (laughs) anti-Jesus? Okay, you're anti-the Bible. Now, you can have different understandings of the end times and how it plays out, but how many know we should still support justice and the, the peace of Jerusalem and what God is doing for the Israeli people? We should still support them and pray for them and ask God's best for them, and especially those who have our belief system that all Israel will be saved in the end times. We should be certainly mindful of what they're going through as well as other nations right now. We should be having Cuba in our prayers. But I want you to go up to the top of this. This is where we're going to get to. It's in the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to get to this question that uh, begins to happen here with his disciples. Go up just a little bit more, please. The disciples see that Jesus is praying all the time. Thank you. And as they see that he's praying all the time as a good Jew, there's something that's a little bit different about Jesus. You see, because the Jews were taught to pray three times a day, face towards the temple, and recite different prayers. As a matter of fact, if you want to understand Islam, just think of a math equation. Can I help you out to understand Islam? Judaism plus Christianity plus a bunch of satanic paganism equals Islam. 
That's what Islam really is in a nutshell. Seriously, it's a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of Christianity, plus a whole lot of wicked, evil paganism equals Islam. And so when you Think of Muslims praying. They don't pray like how we pray or have a prayer meeting. They have set prayers during set times of the day. Well, where did they get that from? They got that from the Jews. If you remember Daniel being in Babylon in captivity, they couldn't find anything against him on his job because he was a good worker as unto the Lord. Can I hear an amen for that? Be good on your job as unto the Lord. Let them find nothing bad to say about you other than you're a Christian. So they couldn't find anything bad about him except that he prayed. Why did, or how did they know that he prayed? Because he prayed at certain times. And so these prayers were known as the Jewish prayers. And they were done throughout even the New Testament times. You see them going to the temple to pray. Some miracles start happening with the disciples in the book of Acts. These three prayers that the Jewish people prayed. But here's something different about Jesus. Jesus probably did that. Not saying that he didn't. We don't see him doing it though. But I'm just assuming that he did because there's a lot of other Jewish things that he did that uh, we don't know about, and the Jews couldn't find anything against them, against him and their religion. So we assume that he did a lot of these practices. But there's something about Jesus that's different in his prayers. He's not just praying the same repetitious prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4, known as the Shema. He's not just doing that. He's going off a long way, the Bible says that at, at different places, a long way out in the wilderness before the sun rises and he's out there for hours praying. And then at different times of the day, he would say to his disciples, hey, I've got to go and pray. And then he would just go out and pray for a while. Well, how many know those aren't just set times to pray, a, a little short repetitious prayer. That's, that's someone going out to pray, more how we are familiar with it. But everybody get this. You wouldn't have known that back then. That would have seemed strange. Okay, you're not just doing the, you know, the certain set prayers at the set times. You're going out here for hours. And they begin to ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We've, we haven't seen seen anybody pray like you. And this is where he begins to teach them. Notice this. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Here I am. I'm doing my daily prayers. Here I am. Truly I tell you, they have received a reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your who? Who are you to pray to? Your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And don't keep babbling like the pagans because, you know, just like Roman Catholics today, you just go through these prayers super fast. That's what they were doing then. And that was more like pagans than what God ever intended. He said, when you pray, don't keep, uh, you know, babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask, them, ask him. This then is how you should pray. Now notice this right here. Everybody get this. They only knew religious prayers. They only knew, let's put it in the example we just went through, they only knew how to get to the office by calling the secretary. And they had to do it a certain way to get to that person. That would be like me as a son. Whenever I think about going to visit my dad, I would have to call up the secretary and go, hey, my name is Joe. Don't worry about my last name. Just know I'm Joe. And I'm trying to set up an appointment with Jim. Is Jim available today? Oh, he's not available today. How about tomorrow? Oh, he only has a 15-minute open slot. Okay, would you please put me down for 15 minutes to come see Jim? Yeah, tell him Joe is coming. How many know I didn't do that with my dad? When I came to be with my dad, I could bypass all of that formality, just go right to where he was at, open the door and go, Dad, bah, 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 here's what's been going on in my life. 
And so instead of teaching the Jewish people, here's how you pray the three prayers and you repeat them every day this exact way for everybody to see. He says, this is what I want you to do. Connect it together with Hebrews. I want you to go to the throne of grace and start off by saying, our Father. Bypass all the angels. Bypass all of the saints that have gone on before you. Come on, somebody. Why would I downgrade my prayer now to a saint? Why would I go through the secretary when I got dad's cell phone? Are you listening to me? Why would I downgrade my prayer life when Jesus taught me right at the beginning, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation as we, uh, lead us not to temptation and deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what do people do? Sadly, they repeat the Our Father over and over and over again religiously certain times out of the day. They take exactly what Jesus said not to do and they apply it to the thing that he's teaching us what to do. He's not teaching us now to repeat this prayer exactly, though it's good to memorize Scripture. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us to start off with our prayer, if you could go to the beginning, to talk to your Father, worship and honor Him, glorify Him for who He is and where He is seated in heavenly realms, and then begin to ask His kingdom to come and will will to be done before you ever ask for one thing in your life. Then to begin to lift up your needs and pray for your needs and the needs of those around you. Forgive others before you ask for forgiveness, and then make sure that you always ask God to keep you from temptation because nobody has to sin. Can I hear an amen for that? And so put this together with the throne of grace. If I was to ask you how you see the throne without this message, most of us would say judgment. If I then said to you, how should you talk to God? Most of you would say like a boss, like someone that's way up there, and yet we're supposed to see him as a father. Do you see how different we now look at the Bible? And this is why we don't have victory in our lives. Instead of seeing the throne as a throne of grace, we see it as a throne of judgment, we don't go. Instead of seeing prayer as a time to talk to our Father, we see prayer as a way to talk to our boss and who wants more work to do. And yet Jesus is teaching us this is the secret of success. Know that the throne is a throne of grace. And know that prayer, it's not a place to talk to your boss and report the things you've done or haven't do. It's a place to share your heart with the Father. It's a place for you to lay bare before God and say, this is where I'm at today in these areas, and I'm asking you to bless me, to help me, to forgive me, and to give me strength. I think if you and I started right there, we would dynamically change the way we look at our relationship with God this week. It would change everything. You would start to pray like Paul does without ceasing, wouldn't you? Because you have Jesus with you everywhere you go, and you can pray to the Father in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this would change the way we look at our mistakes in life. Instead of us looking at the mistakes as signs of our, you know, of our wickedness and, and our dis, you know, uh, of our things that we do wrong and disappointments towards God, we could look at our weaknesses and sins as opportunities to come talk to God. Let me ask every parent in here a question. When your children are learning things, do you want them to come and ask you for help or to continue on their own in failure and disappointment and guilt and shame? How do you want your children to be, to come to you or to stay away from you? 
I know many of us can be busy, and sometimes when they come, we can say, well, no, not now. But how many know God is a better father than we ever are? He's a better mother-like figure than mothers ever are. He covers us. He loves us. He looks out for us, and he's never too busy for us. So why, everybody think about this, especially parents, why is it we know it's better for our children to come to us in their time of need, but we now think it's strange to go to God in our time of need? No, I only go when I got it together. That's what, when, I, when my car is clean, that's when I bring it to the car wash because I don't want anybody at the car wash to judge a dirty car. I only come to church when I'm doing good because I don't want anyone at the church to think I'm not doing good. I only pray when I have it all together because I got to do it first myself before God can do it for me. We have Christianity backwards, don't we? God is a father who has sent his son to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can come to the throne of grace. Can I talk to you about this a little bit more? Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The throne of grace says that we can make it, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. The throne of grace is there to give us all the encouragement we would ever need. If I said to you, I can give you a credit card that never withholds debt against you, whatever you spend is always paid off, how many of you would want that today? You would use it a lot, wouldn't you? How many of you would use it a lot? It's debt is always paid. How many of you, if I said to you, if I said, here is the path of success, if you follow it, you'll always succeed. You would follow that path. You see, when we come to Christianity, honestly, let's just be honest, we don't think it's that good. We honestly think that God wants us to fail and to see how miserable we are so that we can keep coming to him groveling for forgiveness. But it's actually the opposite. We have a God that says every debt is paid, so now live like you're free. God wants you to live like you're free. God wants you to live like you're blessed. God wants you to live like every need has already been met. Not that you have to beg for it to be met, but it's already been met in Jesus' name. God wants you and I to have enough faith to believe when he said it is finished, it is finished. Or as some people say, finito, finito. Come on, does anybody say that? Is that Espanol as well, or is that just Italian there? Finito. It's over. It's done. Don't worry about it. But somehow we think Christianity is not that good. Christianity can't be that good. And then when he says things like that the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, they are like a, like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in season. Their leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's Psalm chapter 1. We think that's not what Christianity is. That's too good to be true. That's just what those prosperity preachers preach who want our money over there. Well, hold on. Last time I checked, prosper and all that they do was in the Bible before there was ever a person asking you for money. Last time I checked, that was in the Bible before you and I were ever born that made a mistake that felt God let us down. Wasn't it already there before we already got here? So maybe it's us that's the problem and not the Word of God. Maybe we need to line up more with the Word of God than with the experiences we've had in the past. Let me say it like this. I would believe in healing even if I never saw anybody healed because God said he's the healer. I would still believe it because he said it. Are you listening? But I've seen people healed. Why not see more people healed? I would believe that God was our, was our blessing and our prosperity even if I lived in the worst time of human history, the bubonic plague, the famines. I would still say God is good because God said he was good. Are you listening? 
And I'm not just talking about mind over matter. I'm talking about spirit over matter. Because the same one who called out things that were not as though they were is the same one that's still alive today, living in us and through us. He's the same one that created the universe with a spoken word, can create that situation on your job to be in your favor, can change your marriage, can change your children. God is able to give you prosperity in all that you do. He says you're like a tree planted by streams of water. So I want to ask you this now. If I said to you, God doesn't ever want you to sin again, would you think I was lying to you? God doesn't ever want you to have to do an evil act again. Would you think I was just building up your hopes to fail? No, I hope that you would take it as God's word because you and I don't ever have to sin again. You and I don't ever have to be involved and entangled in sin. We don't have to serve the master of sin ever again. We don't have to do it never, ever, ever again. We are today new people. Look at what the scripture says. Come on, some of y'all getting quiet on this preacher right now. Is this a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church? Come on, somebody say, help me, Jesus. Amen. Let's all believe it. And if we don't have enough faith to believe it, say, help me, Jesus, and let faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happen to them, talking about their sins and mistakes in the people of Israel's life. This happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, so don't get cocky in this. Stay humble. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So we're all here as man suffering temptation. And God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Come on, somebody. I believe that. If we look through the stories of the Bible, God has been faithful every step of the way to make a way out. It's just that some people don't take it. We look at the different stories of the Bible where some made it and some didn't make it. And it wasn't based on whether or not God made a way out. It was based on whether or not they came to the throne of grace asking for help in their time of need. My name, Joseph, comes from the Josephs of the Bible. Joseph, Mary's husband, was also probably named off of the Joseph of the Old Testament, who is, to me, my favorite Old Testament character. Joseph was that person that was given a dream, shared it with his brothers, and then was thrown into a pit out of their jealousy because they were jealous of this dream of him ruling over them. Then he went from the pit into Potiphar's house as a slave. And what happened when he was in Potiphar's house? Potiphar's wife wanted a piece of the Joseph Pye. He was a holy, holy, good-looking man of God. And he was the kind that was attractive, I guess, to one of these uh, housewives. You know, the, you know, what's that show? Uh, the Housewives of Jersey Shore, the Housewives of these Atlanta, you know. And then uh, Desperate Housewives had an actual sitcom, you know, Orange County Housewives. And so to one of these housewives, Joseph was the new thing. And she wanted that. But you know what? Joseph didn't give in to her. He could have saw that as a quick way to become successful. Well, you know, if I sleep with the boss's wife, maybe she'll start favoring me. Maybe I can get some more privileges around here. Maybe then she'll manipulate him to set me free because I wasn't supposed to be here to begin with. But you know what? He said no to her temptation. And everybody get this. Even to when she undressed him, he ran out naked. 
Now, men, some of you can't even withstand the temptation in your own heart that you run after naked women by the computer or the lust of your eyes. This man was stripped naked by a woman and ran away naked rather than give up his testimony. Are you listening? And God can make us just like that. God can make us to the point that we cannot be penetrated by the sins and wickedness of this world, that we're impenetrable by evil, that our heart is guarded and protected. And you might say, well, Pastor, well, what about those times where I feel like it's so great that, that I just feel like it's overwhelming? In other words, when you feel like you have a need, what should you do? Bring your need to the Lord, the throne of grace. He will help you in that time. Now, I know there's always someone, you know, in the audience that says, but pastor, but pastor, but pastor, but, 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 pastor, I got a big old butt I want to throw in the middle of this. But pastor, what about the times you've sinned as a Christian? Didn't you have the same opportunity to do that and you didn't? And now I'm in that same, you know, that same place. So isn't it okay, pastor, if I sin just like how you sinned as a Christian and then afterward ask God for forgiveness? And I want to make sure everyone hears me today. That's not how it works. Because the moment you put your big old butt in the way, look at your neighbor and say, put that butt on slim fast. You need to get rid of that big old butt because the moment you put that big old butt in the way, you're trying to circumvent the throne of grace. What you're trying to say is it's the throne of compromise. And that what God is really saying to us is, I didn't expect you to keep my commands, so you know what? Let's just work something out. Whenever you sin, I'll just forgive. You keep on sinning, I'll keep forgiving. And the Bible actually warns about that in the book of Hebrews. Let's go there quickly because i got to address that. Somebody say, make it plain. Thank you. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, the same place we started off with in chapter 4. Now go to chapter 3. Because the Bible says that we're not supposed to live like this, that we're supposed to guard our hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Somebody say, uh-oh. You see, in their compromise, they say, well, you know, there's a sacrificial system, so we might as well just sin all we can and just take it out on these animals. And after all, nothing like a good barbecue, right? So the more we sin, the more we sacrifice, the more we eat. Sounds like a good deal to me. And it gives the priests something to do because they don't really do much anyway, do they? Those old priests, got to keep them busy. No, he said, that's not the way it works. Your heart is hard. You're rebellious when you're thinking like that. And then now the author of Hebrews takes it out of the Old Testament and applies it to anyone here that thinks they're going to get around God and kind of find an easier way to do this, a greasier grace, a sloppy agape kind of way of living. It says in verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. How many know there's a day called today, and we're living in it? How many are glad there's a today today? As long as there's a today, keep encouraging each other, lest you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction. Does it say compromise? No, it says if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And just a reminder, go back to Hebrews 4 now, just following the thought in Hebrews chapter 4 where we learned about the throne of grace. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we have a great high priest. And then it says in verse 15 that he's able to understand our weaknesses. And then in verse 16, it says, let's approach the throne of grace grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of help. But if you understand what happens in verse 14, it says, hold firmly to what you profess. So we are not to profess compromise and try to then use God's throne of grace to be greasy grace, to work out some type of a compromising deal where he can sin and he can forgive and that it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, it's all going to get forgiven anyways. No, we keep a heart that holds on to the things of God. And so the way I like to look at it is this, is if you and I were out working in my garage and you, uh, you know, we were saying we're going to cut grass, you know, we're going to work on my lawnmower and different things and get it ready. And let's say you were pouring the gas and you spilt a little bit and you said, hey, Joe, do you have something to clean this up with? I would go get one of those old rags out the garage. How many of you have one of those old rags? And I would say, oh, I got something right here. It's one of these old rags, you know, that's kind of, kind of one of those rags that's been used so much it can kind of stand up on its own. It's stiff, you know what I'm saying? I'll get one of those old rags out the garage, and I'll toss it to you, and I'll say, hey, man, go ahead and clean it up. Now, if I saw you in the corner just squirting that grass, uh, that, that gas everywhere, and, and, then, and then I just come over to you, and I go, hey, what are you doing? And you go, well, you got a rag that cleans it up, don't you? I would say, hold on, I think we've missed the purpose of what we're supposed to be doing here. I didn't ask you to come to my house to spill gas everywhere so that this dirty old rag could come and clean it up. I asked you to come to my house so we could work on cutting the grass. The purpose is cutting the grass, not cleaning up the mess. You see, but some of us, we come to God and we say, oh, God, I, I, I think I get it now. I sin, you forgive. I sin, you forgive. Well, I'm just going to make life about me sinning and you forgiving. And God says, no, 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 that's not the purpose. I want you to have a family. I want you to have a parenthood and children. I want you to have a job. The purpose is to live according to what I've commanded you to do, not make a mess and me keep cleaning it up. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in the Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many know today we can be delivered from evil, but we can also not be led into temptation? Come on, can I hear an amen to that? Just as surely as God can deliver us from evil, he can lead us not into temptation. And so going back to that passage in, in Hebrews chapter 3, if you could put it up again, my brother, we're taught not to abuse the grace of God. We're taught to stay away from sin. We're taught to hold on to our conviction, and we're taught to encourage one another daily. So what are we supposed to do when we hear someone else complaining to us about their sins? Oh, well, you know, so-and-so's been in sin, and, you know, they've been doing this and that. First thing we're supposed to say is, you know, my ears, you know, they may be big, but they're not so big to be a trash can. I'm not here to hear your garbage today and gossip. So if we're talking about so-and-so, we're talking to pray. Can I hear an amen? Don't call prayer requests gossip. But then what were you supposed to do when we hear someone struggling and saying, oh, you know, we haven't seen so-and-so in church. They're dealing with this. Or, you know, this young person I hear, you know, they're having troubles. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray, yes. But then we're supposed to find them. Look what it says, verse 13. And encourage them and say, hey, listen, 
As long as there's today, there's a day of salvation for you and forgiveness for you. There's a day for you to go to the throne of grace. There's a day and a time right now for you to have every chance you need to get out of this. We're going to help you. We're going to pray for you. And now in our world, what they want us to do is, you know, looking at any of the examples that we use, let's take the gas example, they don't even want to think that making a mess in the garage is mess anymore. That's their way around it. Oh, here, Joe, I got a better way. Here, I got a better way, Joe. Yeah, there's Christians that sin to be forgiven, that sin to be forgiven. I got a better way. How about this? We just stop calling it sin. Instead of playing the game with God, sin to be forgiven, let's just get rid of the whole thing we call sin and let's call it a good thing. No, the Bible says that in the last days, that's what they would do. Just like in the times of turmoil in Israel, they called good evil and evil good. That's what would happen here. That sin would abound. It would harden people's hearts. The Bible says that even preachers will come around and try to tickle our ears. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is teach a culture about the throne of grace. So when the homosexual community sees us, yes, we're supposed to warn them about the judgment to come if sin is not confessed, but we should remind them more fervently, we should remind them more passionately about there being a throne of grace that transforms their lives. Because at the throne of grace, there's transformation for the LGBT, isn't there? At the throne of grace, there's transformation for adultery. At the throne of grace, there's transformation for those who love violence, uh, corruption, greed. Somebody say the throne of grace. Amen. Turn with me in the Bible here to James chapter 1 verse 13. The Bible teaches us how to fight temptation, to go to the throne of grace in our times of need. But I want you to know where temptation comes from, James 1.13. So often we think the devil makes us do all these things. Now the devil can tempt us, but he cannot force us to give in to our temptation. It's us that has the choice, and God gave us that choice. I believe that's the gift of free will. It's the gift of self-determination, free volition. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose this path or that path? And the Bible talks about this. There's a, you know, a narrow path that very few find it and that leads to eternal life, but there's a path of destruction that leads, uh, there's a wide path, rather, that leads to destruction. And it's the same thing not only with paths and which one we're choosing, but it's also in our day-to-day actions. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Somebody go, mm, oh, I get it now. Come on. It's my own evil desire. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So how many know today each one of us have different temptations based on our different desires? Some of you right here, food is not a temptation. You are just a skinny mini. You are a petite little thing, and you're going to stay petite. You know, you're the kind of person we go out to eat. You don't eat the bread at the table, okay? How many of you are like me? You're already asking for seconds and thirds of the bread, right? Me and Jared went out the other day. We got the nacho chips on the table. We're eating the salsa. How many know that thing was gone in two seconds? Then we got the guacamole with the nacho chips. And I'm like basically full before my meal gets there. Does anybody like that? But then you think to yourself, well, I'm here now, and the meal is here, and it looks good, and it doesn't taste as good after you microwave it, so I might as well make some room, right? But that's our own desire. But there's somebody else that says, man, I hardly ever eat. Sometimes I forget to eat. How many wish you were those kind of people that forget to eat? 
I just forget to eat sometimes. I just forget. Well, you skinny little thing, you, God bless you. You forget to eat. I, man, that's not how it is with, in, in my house, you know. I, we, we are grazing throughout the whole day in our house. There's some food everywhere. That's why we're now trying to replace it with vegetables everywhere and fruit everywhere instead of going for the, the other kinds of things. But that's just, you know, according to desire. How many know I could ask men to stand up in here right now and I could say, sashay, men, dance, dance like you mean it, drop it like it's hot, shake what your mama gave you. How many know I could ask men to do that? Most of us men would be like, okay, Joe, let's, ask, you know, let's have them sit down. How many know that wouldn't be a temptation for us to watch men dance in this place? But how many know for a lot of the ladies, they would have to go, oh, help me, Jesus. But then there's some men that are attracted to the same sex and that would be a problem for them. But how many know, and maybe you don't know, but I'll just say this for this, but uh, how many can, can agree with my testimony that I'm not tempted in a man's locker room? Can you agree with my testimony, men? Can, I'm not tempted in a man's locker room. Women, there are some women here, that, you know, most of you are not tempted, rather, in a woman's locker room. But there are people that have same-sex attraction. There's people that have different kinds of attraction, right? Some that even today could put them in jail, and you need to get help for that, and we want to help you. But notice that the Bible says it comes from the sinful nature or it comes from the flesh in other places in Galatians chapter 5. And so what happens when we're born again? The Bible says we're transformed from within. Our spirit and soul are renewed. We're born again on the inside. But how many know you still carry with you this flesh? So now it's your choice as a born-again child of God whether or not you're going to keep following the desires of your flesh or you're going to follow the leading of the Spirit. There's a whole passage on this in Galatians chapter 5 that if we had time, maybe I'll get into it. But I wanted to just give you the summary of it here and that what we're supposed to understand during this time of temptation is that we can be free from it, that we're not supposed to give in to it. How many of you today want to live free from sin? How many? Let's just be honest. How many want to live free from sin? So what are you supposed to do when your flesh is tempting you? Go to the throne of grace. Go to the throne of grace. God, my flesh is tempting me to cheat on my wife. God, this image in my mind from this TV show I saw is in there. Lord, would you remove that from my mind? Lord, this person at my job is making advancements at me. Lord, and it's, it's, it's causing desires to come up. Lord, help me. See, those are the prayers of an honest person. See, those are the prayers of a person that will stay married. You know, oftentimes, uh, you know, in holiness, oftentimes when I tell those kind of testimonies or I give examples in this church, I can see a immediately that there's people here that feel uncomfortable. Oh, you mean pastor has been tempted to cheat on his wife? I mean, let's just pause here and say, how many pastors have we know that actually have done it, you know? But still, it, it's, it seems to be odd in a church setting, and it's almost like, pastor, why would you say that? Why? Why? Because I know I can come confidently to God and to the throne of grace to overcome my temptation. I'm not going to say to you I have not been tempted to cheat on my wife since I've been married because then in your marriage, if you get tempted, you're going to think, well, something's wrong with me. Wow, Joe seems to never get tempted, but now I get tempted. What makes Joe so much better than me? No, Joe's not better than you. If Joe says that, Joe's lying. Are you listening? But what if I told you as many times as I've been tempted in my marriage is as many times as I've gone to the throne of grace and we have just made 16 years of marriage and I'm confident that we're going to make it to 50 and to 100, said the Lord, Terry. Would you believe it? Amen? I would hope that everyone hand clapping would believe it because that's how we overcome the temptation. Not by denying it, not by saying it's not real, but by saying that, God, I need your help to overcome it. 
You see, it's during those times of humility that the Lord works in our lives. I often see that Christians are trying to stand in their own strength, and when they fail, they blame it on God. And then that becomes their discouragement. Well, I came to God when I was in this temptation, and I expected him to give me more self-discipline so I wouldn't sin. And when I didn't have more self-discipline, and then I sinned, he let me down. No, you see, you did it wrong. See, God wanted you to come and say, I can't do it on my own. It's not God help me be a better Joe. It's crucify Joe and make me like Christ. The self-discipline that we get is from God's side, not our side. That's why so often when I talk to people from the New Age, it seems like we're saying the same thing, but we're really not. You know, they'll talk about sowing and reaping, and they'll call that karma. And I'm like, it's similar, but it's really not what you're saying. The sowing and reaping has to do with the character of God and how we treat others and how God will allow us to suffer our own mistakes. It's not just an energy force that's just sending out vibes everywhere, right? Are you guys tracking with me? But sometimes if you're not careful, Oprah can sound Christian. Are you with me? I mean, it can kind of sound, you know, positive mental attitude. Sounds like renewing of the mind. As I said before, Karma sounds like sowing and reaping, speaking things that you want to see, dream boards come to pass, seems to be like having visions and believing in faith. Yeah, but there's, there's a key element missing in all of that. You see, in those systems, you're the focused. Your effort is what is being focused on. And you see, Jesus taught us at the very beginning in Christianity, it's not about you. What did he say if you want to be his disciple? What's the first thing you do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Why? So that you can die to every temptation along the way and then follow Jesus. You see, they start by acknowledging themselves. What are my dreams? What can I do? Now, why is it those things seem to have success at times? The reason is, is because God built into us and to the image he's given us dominion, dominion over the earth. And so whenever we operate according to dominion, we will see those results. But those results, that dominion that we have without God is a short term. It is a short lived success. How many understand that? How many have done things in life to become successful and then you are your worst enemy and lost it all? I mean, and, and even sometimes they can carry it with them all the way to life, but if you track with their lives long enough, they normally can't even hold on to that success because they're their worst enemy. That's why, as I've mentioned before, Oprah can't have a, a, a biblical marriage because she is probably afraid of what she'll lose if she ever got married. That's why Ellen has to be in a homosexual relationship to find success because she's really not as funny as she appears to be because on the inside she's hurt. Are you listening? And I could go through all the things. You would think Michael Jordan, the greatest athlete of his time, you know, out of all sports, he was probably the greatest athlete, had a gambling addiction that almost cost him all of his wealth and cost him close friends and relationships. You see, I could show you in every successful person a leak in their bucket where they don't get to keep even what they try to have. It's almost as if the more they put in, the more they lose. Or in other words, they're building their kingdom with sand and it's just falling through their hands. Are you listening? But when God does it, he builds it on the foundation of his word. The Bible says he makes rich and adds no trouble to it. You're too blessed to be stressed. Can I hear an amen to that? You're going through the same things they're going through, but you're coming out a whole lot different. Amen? They're coming out with that stressed out cat, like that stressed out cat meme. Their eyes are cross-eyed. 
I'm crazy. I made it, though. You know, but you're coming out blessed. Hallelujah. You're not coming out strung out. You're coming out with your mind, and you didn't need Prozac for that. If you're still there, let God help you. But I, I got some testimonies to tell you what God can do here. Yeah, we've been through some stuff, but we go through it differently. We come out on the other end differently. We don't look like that stressed-out cat that got drugged through the mud all, mud all cross-eyed. We look like healthy sheep that have had a shepherd take care of us and just comb us and brush us and make us look all fluffy and get a little Afro puff. You know what I'm saying? We come out with a perm. Can I hear somebody say amen? Oh, man, I get excited when I talk about how good God is. But we have to give it to him. In, in the times of your temptation, if you see God's throne as a throne of judgment, you won't see victory. If you see God's throne as a place where you've got to prove it to earn it, you won't see God's victory. But if you see it as a place where your father is, where the son is, or where the Holy Spirit is there, and you see it as a place of grace and mercy, you'll start to get that strength, and you'll start to get that confidence. And then the next time you're tempted, instead of like Adam and Eve running away and trying to hide and make a little thing out of fig leaves to cover yourself, you'll come boldly into the Father's throne. You'll come running in there, Abba, Father, I need you, I need you. This devil's messing with me, I need you, God. You know, this situation is coming against me, and you'll see what God will do. Because the Bible says, says, those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will be lifted up. So when I ask people, do you believe he can do it? They have to make that choice now for themselves. But let me just pause and give a few testimonies. I used to smoke cigarettes early on as a teenager. I got addicted to them. And by the time I was 18, I was smoking a pack a day. And they say, and I still believe this is one of the true things about cigarettes. I haven't checked it recently, but they say it can be one of the hardest habits to break, even harder than heroin. I believe when I was uh, around, that was one of the statistics they used to say. And you know what? I felt, even as a Christian, that, you know, maybe I can get away with it for a little bit and be all right because God's already taken out the bigger junk out of my life. And as the old preachers used to say, maybe smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. And uh, some of you younger folks don't get that now because now you vape, or they vape rather, and it smells like cotton candy. The other day I was, I was at this, uh, the, I'm serious because I always tell that joke, but just the other day I was out wakeboarding and I just started smelling cotton candy. And I'm like, man, am I at the carnival? Is there cotton candy around here? And I look at a guy over there vaping. So different from what, how I grew up. How many grew up around cigarette smoke or in the time that when it was out and it smelled bad? You know, it smelled bad. It made you f smell like you were in hell itself. So anyways, I thought to myself, well, you know, God took care of all the big stuff, and he's probably so busy, he doesn't want to hear about this little stuff about me, you know, being tempted to smoke, so I'll just kind of work it out on my own, and if I don't get free from it, hey, at least I'm going to heaven, I love Jesus, and I'm fun to be with now, I'm not the jerk I used to be. Well, I was hanging out with one of my friends, and we were just, you know, eating at a restaurant. This was back in the day when you could smoke in a restaurant. You know, get done eating, pull out the pack of cigarettes, light up a smoke, and start smoking. My Christian friend looked at me and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, just imagine someone would do that from church. I mean, we still try not to be judgmental, but how many know we still a little judgy judge? You know, like, what you doing, man, pulling out a cigarette right in front of me? And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm forgiven. Jesus loves me. I mean, I told him the whole thing. You, you know, you've heard a thousand times that we've heard here. Man, Jesus loves me. Don't judge me, bro. Come on. This is not sending me to hell. And then this is what he simply asked me. He said, do you believe that's God's best for you? Like, do you believe this is God's best? Like, is that what God wants you to do? Because it's not your life. It's God's life now. You're supposed to deny yourself. You belong to him. Boy, and instantly I felt that conviction. I'm like, 
Well, of course not. I don't think this is God's best. I mean, that'd be like me putting my mouth on a muffler, inhaling smoke, right? How many know you're not supposed to inhale smoke? Like you weren't made to inhale smoke. Does everybody get that here that's still vaping and thinking you're cool? You weren't made to inhale smoke. You were made to inhale what? Oxygen. That's what you were meant to breathe, not smoke. Think about it. Don't get offended at me. It's the truth. And so I said, you know what? You're right. And uh, I said, well, what should I do? And he said, well, pray, you know, pray and ask God, and he'll take it from you. And he gave me the standard answer, which is a good answer. But how many know I didn't hear it that way? What I heard was, well, I'm just going to pray it one time, and it's going to magically disappear, and I'm never going to have a desire for it again. So seriously, a couple days later, I'm going to make this choice now. And I talk to the Lord. I say, I'm ready now, Jesus. I'm going to scrunch up my cigarettes. And this was before we knew not to litter like this, so don't judge me. So I scrunched up my pack of cigarettes and just threw it out the window. Yeah, it's a crazy time back then, the 90s. You know, we threw stuff out like that. We should have known better. So I just threw it out the window. I'm done. I'm never smoking again. And then about an hour later, because I was delivering pizzas, about an hour later, I'm like, hey, man, can I bum a cigarette? Because I still had the desire to smoke. And then it went back and forth like that between me and God and prayer and all of this. And then one day, I felt God told me to do something different. Are you guys ready for this? Because I'm telling you how God did it for me as an 18-year-old. He'll do it for you today. And he still keeps his word to me at 44. It doesn't matter who we are. This is what God said to me. He said, come on. He said, come into my office, going back to that example. He said, come on into my throne. In my prayer time, that's what he said to me. And he said, you lay down right here in my presence until you believe I can take it from you. Don't leave until you believe I can set you free from this. No self-will. Don't think you're going to do it. You're going to try hard. You're going to get a patch and you're going to get gum. No, no. You stay here until you believe that I can do it. And I went to my face, and I'll be honest with you, I cried. And I said, Lord, I, I just, I don't know if I can believe. It seems like it's not that big of a deal, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get over this. But then he began to give me scriptures about like how I'm giving you today, how he'll never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, and that he'll always make a way of escape, and that he'll give us a path out of temptation, and that the throne of grace is there for me if I should feel like I'm going to smoke again. I can rely back on his power at that time. I can go right to him wherever I'm at. And so then those tears of desperation became tears of joy and peace. I have not smoked again since 1995. 1995. Never smoked again. And you might say, well, Pastor, what did it look like day to day? Well, what it looked like was when I got that temptation again, I just said, I believe I'm free. I believe you set me free, Jesus. I believe I don't have to do it. And the Lord said to me, you don't have to touch it and you don't ever have to do it again. And I just believed. I know it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It just sounds too good to be true. It sounds like right now I should give you a course, 14 steps to get free from every addiction and charge you $199, $199. But if you order right now, you'll get it for $25.99, right? That's what it sounds like I should say next because it just sounds too good to be true. Joe believed God in a time of temptation, and he wasn't dragged away, but rather he was set free. Mercy came. But isn't that exactly what the Scriptures say he'll do? And so when people look at us and they say, how are you so different? Did you have self-will? Did you self-determine? Did you go to this course? You can teach them, no, I knew how to go to the throne of grace. Can I hear an amen? Go with me to Revelation chapter 20 in closing. Vinny, would you come? I want to show this to you now in the end. Because how many know God is still going to judge people from his throne? 
but I want to show you what part of the throne you're going to be at. Look at chapter 20, verse 11. The throne of grace. Can I hear somebody say that? The throne of grace. This is what we normally think of when we think of the throne, isn't it? I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. How many have your name in that book? The book of life. Amen. If you don't get it, get it written down today. The judge, uh, the, rather, the dead were judged according to what they had done, according to the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that was in them. That means everybody's coming before this throne. And each person was judged according to what they had done. They were what? According to what they had what? Done. Thank you. They were judged according to what they had done. Now, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But go on down now. Next chapter. Look at chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the what? From the what? Y'all better help this preacher. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the Come on, one more time. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on what? He who was seated on what? The throne. One more time. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Come on, everybody track with this here. Was there a throne? Or rather, was that throne of God used for judgment? But were we judged there? No. Our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're all going there afraid. They're all going there wondering what's going to be written in those books, plural. Well, I can tell you right now what's going to be written there, everything you've done. If you're not a Christian, it will be written there and held against you, every thought, every word, every deed. But is that for the Christian? No. At the throne is where we're told we're getting in. Starting right there, the throne brings us the affirmation that we are gods. We are king's kids. The next thing that you see, after the judgment happens, does he turn the throne into a love seat and say, hey, I don't need this anymore? No, he keeps the throne to show his power and authority. But what does he do from that place of power and authority? Scroll up a little bit, please. What does he do there from that? uh, Up, please, up to the first verses there, chapter 21. What does he do? He then makes everything new and wipes away our tears. Think about that. So from the place he's judged the world, sentenced them to hell, it's now from the place he says, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here with your tears. Let me wipe them away while he's on the throne. From the throne, wiping away tears. Come on, somebody. From the throne, telling you, I'm making everything new. Because the throne is a throne of judgment for them, but it's a throne of grace for us. Keep on going down now to chapter 22. What else does he do from that throne? 
Here's where you see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, who we know is the Holy Spirit, as clear as crystal, flowing from where? The throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Wow. You mean forever? Even in the new heavens and new earth, the throne is there? Yeah. And what is the throne now doing after he's wiped away our tears, made everything new? It's where the Holy Spirit is flowing like a river. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember that tree that Adam and Eve rejected? It's now there again for all of us to partake. And that tree brings forth 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are the healing of the nations. No longer any curse. No longer any curse. Come on, people. We won't need the police. We won't need the military to do what we should have been doing all along. We won't need there to be jails. We won't need the IRS. We won't need corrupt businesses. All that we'll need is we'll be from God and from his throne. And verse, uh, in the next verse here, verse 3, that part of the verse says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And watch, as servants, they will reign forever and ever. We're servant kings, because then we rule and reign with Christ from that throne. So the throne of grace is here for us in our time of need. But that throne of grace will then one day make every wrong right, that throne of grace will make everything new. That throne of grace will flow a river that will bring healing to the nations. That throne of grace will then be a light to the entire universe. And from that throne of grace, we will serve as kings and as rulers over God's kingdom. I think we should get used to that throne of grace. How many want to start right now? Would you give God a hand clap of praise? Come on, stand up to your feet. Would you bless him today? Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for a throne of grace. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Let's pray. Let's go there now to that throne of grace. Father, Abba, we come to you in the name of Jesus, boldly before that throne of grace, asking today for our friends and family who don't know you to come to know and love you now. If you know anyone that doesn't know Jesus, would you pray for them to know Jesus? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm praying for you. Lord, I ask that everyone here will repent, be born again, come to know and love you and accept you so that they can have entrance to a throne of grace. If you want to have that, that ticket, that, that entrance way to the throne of grace, you need Jesus and his blood today to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. If you've never done that before, would you just pray something like this? Say, Father, I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I come to the throne of grace to be made a new person. If that's you right now, pray that prayer. And at any time, you can come up to these prayer workers here. They'll help you. But we'll dismiss in a moment. If that makes it easier, they'll still be up here. But for the rest of us who already know Jesus, would you pray for someone to come know Jesus? Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray that we'll be examples of the throne of grace wherever we go. And as you begin to pray for them, start to then look at your life and say, is there anything that doesn't belong? I didn't have time to get into it today, but Psalm 51, 
shows us a true prayer of repentance in a time of need if you've got to get the junk out. And we should pray like that right now. If there's anyone here that maybe throughout this week or throughout this season of your life, you're making compromises and you're thinking, well, it's okay because I can be forgiven. Don't live like that. Come to the throne of grace in your time of need and ask God to set you free from pornography. Ask him to set you free from addictions, from stinking thinking. Ask the Lord today to wash you, to cleanse you so that the throne of grace can be the place where you dwell daily with Jesus. You get used to it. This is where you go. A few moments before we dismiss. Anyone here today, even as a Christian, need to be encouraged by the throne of grace. Make time to pray as you pray for others to know that throne of grace. And then some of us begin to pray for this nation. Why not pray for our leaders and pray for other nations, right, like Cuba and places around the world that are suffering now. They need a throne of grace. This world needs Jesus, doesn't it? A few moments can change our lives and those around us. Lord, your throne of grace is coming, but first it will be used for judgment for those who don't know you. So, Lord, we ask you to have mercy that more will come to the throne of grace than do judgment, that in our generation we'll see revival, oh God. We won't just accept things the way they are. We'll believe that if you've changed us, you can change anyone. Change Cuba, change North Korea, change the Middle East, change China, change our nation, change our city, change our politicians, oh Lord. May the throne of grace be the place where we all live. Oh God, you... You said we could come by our faithful high priest, Jesus. We're coming. Just as the band worships, we'll dismiss in just a moment. But just worship right now as you can. And if you need prayer, you can come up. We'll formally dismiss in just a, a little bit. But let's worship right now.